Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 491. Jonathan Raymond here is coming back. He's bringing some powerful stuff associated with how to have conversations that really do improve performance and don't make you a jerk and actually help people out and show caring at the same time. So you'll learn, one, what makes traditional feedback ineffective? Two, how to have more effective conversations using the five stages of the accountability dial. And three, how to articulate feedback to your team, your peers, and your seniors. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's over at allsaboutyourjob.com slash ep491. Now here's Jonathan's story. After 20 years of not being able to decide whether he was a business executive or a personal growth teacher, Jonathan stopped trying to figure it out. He's the author of Good Authority, How to Become the Leader Your Team is Waiting For, and the founder and CEO of Refound, a people training company that teaches people how to have human conversations at work. Refound specializes in working with people leaders at high growth organizations and is proud to be a trusted learning partner to Fortune 100 organizations such as Panasonic and McKesson. Cutting-edge tech firms like Niantic and Box and small businesses that are going places. He's madly in love with his wife, tries not to spoil his daughter, and will never give up on the New York Knicks. Jonathan is an experienced CEO and people manager and has thrown his heart, mind, and soul into more than a few culture change projects. He lives in Encinitas, California, and is an avid, albeit mediocre, surfer. Big thanks to Jonathan for spending some time with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Jonathan. Jonathan, welcome back to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks, Pete. It's great to be back. Well, I'd love to hear, have you learned anything extraordinarily useful and maybe new that changed the way you were thinking from two years ago? Yeah, I hope the answer to that is yes. We've learned a ton, really, as an organization. I think that one of the ways that we work with organizations and, and try to advise them is a lot of people will say like, well, we want more communication. But if you actually talk to people inside an organization, which we do through, you know, through our engagements, they say, well, you know, it's not so much that I want more communication. There's plenty of communication. Oh, sure. The email inbox is plentiful. <laughs> what I want is for them to think a little harder. They meaning, you know, sort of the organization or the leaders or whoever. I want them to think a little more about which ones matter to me and why and invest a little bit more time in context and why, why this particular piece of communication, there's a bunch of stuff that you're telling me about that. It's not that I don't care, 
but I have so many things that I'm trying to digest at the same time. I'd rather you didn't. If you could just invest a little bit more time and in thinking into which pieces of communication need a little bit more context and a little bit more of the why, those organizations are succeeding in terms of having more effective communication. Well, when it comes to communication effectiveness, I wanted to chat with you in some real depth about feedback. We touched upon it last time, which was Boy, way back, way back, uh, more than a, about a couple of years there. And so I would like to talk about feedback in particular for this chat and, and maybe to start us off with, in what ways does feedback often sort of just not work in teams and organizations? Sort of what's, what's the problem that you bump into most often? Yeah, so well, let's start by thinking about, you know, for anyone who's married or in a serious relationship, when you try to give feedback to your partner or spouse, how does it go? Usually not well, right? <laughs> if you have kids and you try to give your kids feedback, including but not limited to teenagers, how does it go? Generally not well, right? Why? Like, why does feedback not generally go well? One is because we've got a lot of pent up emotion. Typically, we sometimes have more power than the other person. Not always. We are often missing context around why they did what they did when they did it. There's so many possible ways that things could go wrong. We have our own bias. We have our own judgments. We have our, a lot of our own projection and how we feel about ourselves. So it's a mess. So when we enter into a thing called a feedback conversation, the likelihood of success is very low given all of those factors. And so we have to start thinking beyond feedback because that setup, whether it's in the workplace or in our families, it doesn't work. We know that it doesn't work. People get defensive. It's awkward. We feel uncomfortable. We talk past one another. So we need another way to think about solving the problem of what is the problem that feedback is intending to solve. There's a real problem there that we're, we're sort of taking this tool called feedback and saying, oh, that's going to solve it. And at Refound, our position is like, mm, not so much. It's not going to work for that for a lot of different reasons. There's another way. Well, I suppose most often the problem I'm, I'm trying to solve with feedback is, you know, I would like for you to do this thing differently yes. and better <laughs> Yes, <laughs> as I perceive yes. better. And so if feedback is not the mechanism, what is? So for us, the everyday conversations take a different tone. So instead of, so exactly as you said, right, what is the purpose of feedback? Well, I want someone to behave differently. Now we could also say it's, we also want to give them feedback around things that they do well. And I know we're, we'll get into kind of the different feedback spaces or the different feedback relationships that we all have. But if we think about approaching that conversation, not by making a statement about something, but by asking a question or making an observation, but doing it from a place of acknowledging our subjectivity and saying, hey, I noticed this, or it seemed to me that X, or when I was sitting in the meeting, one of the things that struck me was blank. But we're approaching those conversations with a spirit of curiosity, with a spirit of dialogue. Like, I don't have all the information. I don't know everything about why you did what you did when you did it. I just noticed something. And I'm going to bring it up because as your colleague or as your manager or as your subordinate, whatever the case may be, I see that as part of my role to when I see things that are either problematic or potentially problematic, part of my role as a leader in this organization and in standing for my own values is to say something. But the way we go about it changes the whole game, right? If we approach it from a place of assumption and conclusion and 
prescriptive, like this is what happened and this is what you need to do differently. Well, now we're doing feedback and we'll get the result that's, that you would imagine. But if we approach it from a place of, hey, I have a question about this. I wasn't sure what to make of it. It seemed like this, but I could be. And so it's having that open hand relative to those everyday conversations. So in one way you could say, oh, well, that's another way to do feedback. And, and that's fine. You could call it that. But for us, it's really different. When we train and teach these tools, people feel like, oh, so I don't really have to give feedback in the way that I understood it. All I have to do is talk with people. All I have to do is show up as a human being, find a way to surface what I'm feeling, thinking, sensing, and then we can have a conversation. And that's right. Well, so I'm intrigued. So we start with the curiosity and, and a statement of, of, hey, I noticed this. And then maybe how does the rest of the conversation go? Or maybe we could do a role play or example. Yeah. So what we did is we created a tool called the accountability dial. And what we found, and this came from my own painful experience as a, as a people leader is that it was, I found myself having the same conversations over and over again, whether I was in a management role or, you know, when I was a more junior and I would flag something or name something, and I would find myself repeating those conversations. And so what we did is we created an architecture and we said, Hey, what if there's actually five parts to that conversation? We call the mention, the invitation, the conversation, the boundary and the limit. And if we think about locating ourselves, well, where am I in this conversation? Is it the first time that I'm bringing this up? Well, I'm at the mention stage. Hey, Jennifer, you know, I'm, I was in the standup this morning and you seemed frustrated by where the conversation was going. I'd love to hear more about that if I'm reading that right. So that's a mention, right? So I don't know why Jennifer, maybe there's really good reason. Maybe there's, there might be, you know, 27 things that could be happening. Maybe I'm misinterpreting the situation. But my mention is just my first attempt to get in dialogue with Jennifer about that, right? So that's the mention. Now, let's say, you know, a couple of days goes by, maybe a week goes by, and I'm still sensing she was frustrated in that meeting. I noticed that they're, you know, in some email back and forth. It's just something's not clicking. So if I was Jennifer's manager or if I was her peer and I cared about her as another human being, I wouldn't let it go. I would come back to her and I would say, hey, I, you know, you know, I mentioned something in the hall, you know, last week, I've noticed a couple other things that there seems to be something bigger and I, you know, I care. I want to know maybe there's some way that I can help. So that's the invitation stage, the second step of going into a little bit more deeper dialogue. And it's every single one of these steps, all five of them are ways to express care in human ways to say, look, there's something going on, or at least I think there is. And if there's something that I'm doing, I want to be able to change it. And if there's something that we need to work out together, well, let's do that. And so that's, you know, if we go through those stages, that's how we move through the accountability dial, where we don't try to tackle the whole thing in one bite. It doesn't work that way. We're not geared to be able to solve important things as human beings that touch on all these interpersonal and intrapersonal issues. We can't solve those in a 30-second in a conversation. So we're going to come back to it a couple of times over a period of days or weeks or whatever it is. And for that second bit there, the invitation, what exactly are we inviting them to? So we're inviting them to reflect, to say, hey, look, you know, it looked like it was maybe a one-off thing, but now I'm seeing maybe it isn't a one-off thing. Maybe there's a pattern that's emerging. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean I'm judging you. It just means, hey, I'm here. I'm human. You're human. There are probably things that you see about me that maybe are a pattern. But in this instance, here's something that I'm seeing. And if I'm your manager... And again, this is a philosophical point of view. In our work, we say, hey, if you're the manager or the people leader, it's your responsibility to approach that person, if not in real time and near time, to say, hey, look, there's something that seems to be happening here. I'm inviting you 
to take a reflection on this, to, to think about, hey, is there something that you're not saying? Or is there a conversation you need to have with someone else? Or is there a step that you need to do that you haven't done? Whatever it is, but not from a place of judgment or shaming, but just offering somebody from that coaching mindset a reflection from the outside. Because where it's really hard for us as human beings, we don't see when we're doing that often. Most of us, are, our powers of self-reflection, especially with the pace of work, are limited. So we want you know, if you're hungry for growth, you need people around you who are going to say, hey, look, hey, Jonathan, here's something that I'm noticing. Like, maybe it's worth thinking about. That's the invitation. All right. So so in this example we're running with, so so Jennifer, at the, for the first time at the mention, you know, she seemed frustrated by something. And then, and, and so how does the conversation unfold during the invitation phase, you say? It, it looks like, it appears that this has happened a couple more times. You know, right. th this might be a pattern. So I invite you to think about it or, or how, would you, how would you say it? Well, so it depends on the context, right? So if I'm Jennifer's manager, that's going to feel a certain way. If I'm a peer, I might approach that conversation a little differently. It depends on, you know, how you know the person and what the the nature of that relationship is. But the invitation stage, it's not so much, it's not a directive. The invitation is more sort of describing the stage. It's saying like, like, imagine you had like a, a black light that you could put on the floor of, a, of an office and you could see all of the, what we call feedback conversations. Mostly what you would see is a lot of like started, but never re-engaged conversations. So people bring up something, they, they flag something, they name something, they highlight something, but they never come back around to that person and say, Hey, remember that conversation we had the other day? There's something else that I'm noticing that I think might be connected to it. And then the, the whole point of using the accountability dial in everyday conversations is you're engaging your curiosity, right? Hey, I don't know. It's not my job to know the answer, but here's what I'm seeing and building those relationships of trust with colleagues. So that's the, the invitation. And then we move to the next stage into the conversation. Okay. So sometime it goes by again and you notice some other things and, and then what happens? So the conversation stage of the accountability dial is when we try to help somebody, again, whether it's a colleague or a direct report or somebody more senior, shift their awareness from intentions to impacts. So most of the time, 99% of the time, when something happens in an office that isn't great or a factory floor, you know, we do a lot of work in manufacturing and, you know, other contexts like that, it's not intentional. The person is not intentionally trying to create work or for other people or make life more difficult or they're not intentionally doing something to harm others or the team or the customer. And yet behavior has impact. And the conversation stage of the accountability dial is to help somebody shift their awareness. Hey, so I get, I get that that's not what you intended. I get that. I understand that. But I'd love to actually have a conversation about what the impacts were. So to depersonalize it, it's not, well, you're a bad person, right? People get very, can, are likely to get very defensive, especially if you're their manager and, and you know, there are other contexts like that too. And I know, you know, many of your listeners are not in a people management role, but the context of that conversation is let's let's step back here let's talk about well when you know if you're finding yourself frustrated if we take the example of Jennifer if you're finding yourself frustrated with the team and the you know maybe the pace of projects or there's too many changes whatever it is how might that be impacting your working relationships how might that be impacting our customers or our vendor or stakeholders? How might that be impacting the overall experience that we're having as a team? How might it be impacting your own development? Like, is there some career goal or something that you're working on that this, that staying in this state of frustration is keeping you 
from reaching as fast as you may want. So questions like that to help people go like, oh, wow, you know, I hadn't thought about it in that way. That's how you know you're in the conversation stage to help people, again, de-escalate. Like the whole goal here is we're trying to have human conversations. Things happen. It's not about, you know, jumping on somebody when they make a mistake or, you know, creating a culture of fear is the opposite of what we want to create, but to be in conversation with that person, but to help them see just like, you know, if you had a financial advisor or a relationship coach or in any domain of life, the reason why you hired that person is you're trying to have a different outcome, right? So you wouldn't go to your, you know, your relationship coach and say, well, I didn't intend that and expect that to be the end of the conversation. Of course you didn't intend that, but that's what happened. So let's talk about why. Let's talk about what the impact was, and then let's work our way backwards. And so then you were asking a lot of those questions, you know, how might that impact? So I'm imagining, you know, you have your view of how it's impacting things, but is your recommendation to, to keep it more of, you are, are more of a, a question asker as opposed to a, a describer of what's up or you do both? Yes. So your orientation in our overall philosophy, we say more Yoda, less Superman or more Yoda, less superhero. So your job if you're trying to help somebody grow, you can't actually force them to grow, right? You can't make them change their behavior. So the orientation, the best orientation to take as a coach is to ask questions. And it doesn't mean, just as you said, you may have a theory. Your theory may be bang on. Like it might be, you might have a really good theory as to what's happening for them. But if you give it to them, they're far less likely to feel ownership of that thing that they're changing, and they're far less likely to succeed in their goal. But if you ask questions and you encourage them to think about things differently, that's what a good coach does, right? That's the difference between a coach and a consultant, right? A consultant gets in there and does it for you, doesn't force you to ask those difficult questions, those self-reflective questions. A coach or the hallmark of a coach is someone who's willing, who takes a different tact and says, look, this isn't my thing to change. It's your thing to change. And the best way that I know to support you is to let you do it and let you struggle a little bit and have some maybe, oh, wow, you know, I never really thought about how it impacted our customers. Okay, that's fine. Maybe think about that for a little bit. And like, let's get back together at the end of the day, right? You don't have to solve everything in the moment. And we've become so inured to this like solution, 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 solution. We don't even know that we're doing it. When we do inventory and discovery, the, the depth to which we have adopted it actually a, a really problematic level of firefighting and, you know, going through our inbox and knocking off, you know, inconsequential activity in place of strategic and depthful and creative thinking. A lot of that comes from how we role model that. Do we role model taking a moment to reflect or do we role model like, okay, conversation solved, let's go, action, go, go, go. That's what leads to burnout and overwhelm and, and all of those things that take culture sideways. And I guess I'm wondering here, if you're asking how might that impact these things and they're drawing a blank and, and you know very well, yeah, yeah. I, I see the impact <laughs> that had on some things and, and, and they're not picking it up. How do you play that game? So you can be and should be transparent. You could say, look, I have some theories about how it might be, but I think it's, it's more helpful if you arrive at that on your own. So I would be transparent. That's how I do it. And if they're struggling, then you can give a hint to say like, well, one thing I noticed was, you know, in this interaction between David and Suzanne, I noticed this. So that would be an example. So give them an example, a specific example of where you see that behavior having an impact. And then you will almost always get like, oh, I see what you're saying. I never thought about it in that way before. Yeah, I could see three other things. So you got to prime the pump a little bit oftentimes, especially if it's really on the nose, right? If it's something that somebody 
It's so second nature to them to do. You might have to give them an example, and then they're much more likely to open up. Okay, certainly. And so then we engage in that conversation, and what happens next? So here we're going to go, we're going to diverge a little bit into different types of conversations. So if I'm a more junior person relative to somebody that I work for, let's say, and I'm having an accountability conversation, I've used the mention, I brought up something that I think is problematic that I'd like to see change. Nothing happened. I went to the invitation stage. I said, hey, I think this is a pattern and it seems to be problematic to me. Nothing happened. We had the conversation, maybe in a one-on-one, and hopefully I work in a culture where I can talk with my manager in a, in a more open way. I know that that's not always the case. It's changing these days, not fast enough, but let's assume that there's some amount of that. But I have the conversation, we talk about the impact, and I get I get an acknowledgement right from my boss, and, and they say, yeah, you're right. I can see that is having an impact. You know, I'll get better at that. Let's say that's you know sort of the generic response. Now, what do you do? So it's really different if you're the manager and this person is more junior than you. You have more authority. You have more structure. You have the ability to put a boundary around the situation to say, hey, look, this is what needs to change by when, and here's what it looks like. And that's what the boundary looks like if you're in the manager position or in a more senior position, have more power. If you're in the more junior position, you have less power, the boundary might look different. It might be well, okay, here's where I'm at. I've had the conversation with this person. I'm not really sure where to go next, but maybe I'm not going to step up for you know volunteering on the next project that this person has, or maybe there's some other step that I need to take. You know, perhaps even going to a, an extreme position, and this is a very real position for many people, which is look, if this keeps going, I don't think I can keep working for this person, or I don't think I can keep working on this team. And the reality is that's the nature of how most people are already feeling. So the boundary is about getting in reality of where things actually are. We interview people all the time, I mean, thousands and thousands of people managers and frontline employees. And we ask them like, you know, well, how would you feel about setting a boundary for yourself of what do you need to take care of yourself here? And when does this need to change by? And what does change look like? Most people will say like, it's got to change like this week, or it's got to change in the next month. Like I understand why they're struggling with this, but people are incredibly frustrated. And I think one of the things that we have to do is we have to take the mystery out of this idea of like employee engagement or employee disengagement. That's what it looks like. If you're spending your energy and, you know, life units um, worrying about, you know, what the organization is doing and why my manager is behaving this way, you're already disengaged on some level, reasonably so from the mission and the values of that organization, because it's it's not real to you. And so that boundary stage, so that fourth stage, mention, invitation, conversation, boundary, looks really different depending upon how much power you have in the conversation. And then the third version of that is, if you're working with a peer, you have the same amount of authority as they do. What does that look like? So you've got to, same for the first three steps of the same mention, invitation, conversation. And then at the boundary, We've had, whether it's a senior exec or a junior manager, actually make new agreements. Hey, we have to make a change because of this is what's happening in your group over here. And these are our needs. This is what we need from you. And so that boundary stage is critical. And you know, when I talk with CEOs, every single CEO I've ever worked with, at some point in our first conversation, they would say something to the effect of, well, accountability is one of our core values. They don't always use the word exactly accountability, but they'll say accountability is one of our core values. And I say, great, talk to me. That's wonderful. Talk to me about that. How does that work in your organization? And they'll say, well, what does that mean? What do you mean? What does it have? I said, well, talk to me about a situation where someone wasn't accountable and what the consequences were. And they say, well, what do you mean consequences? To which I reply, well, what do you mean accountability? 
And then we have, then we can have an interesting conversation. And this is what we see over and over again in organizations from Fortune 100 companies that we work with to tiny little startups that you've never heard of. This is what organizations are struggling with right now. We're too nice to each other. We're not having honest conversations. We're way too over-indexed on wanting to be liked and wanting to be nice. And we've forgotten the value of having people who are courageous in positions of leadership, in positions of management who say, look, that's not the way we do it here. We need to do better. And we've lost that in large measure. We've lost that foundational accountability. We could talk about the historical narrative of why, but that's a lot of the the phase that we're in right now is we went from too much command and control. We said, we don't like that. And then we went to not enough command, not enough direction. And now we're finding our way as a business culture. We need a hierarchy. We need managers. We need leaders. We need people who have more experience to direct activity. How do we do that in the lightest way possible? So we don't undermine autonomy and creativity and we're as transparent as we can be. That's the moment that I think we're in right now. That's intriguing. So if you are the junior person with regard to the boundary, do you recommend that you sort of share that boundary with the manager or that's just sort of internal? It's like, okay, this is this is what I've decided that uh, this behavior will need to change within a month or I'm going to be pursuing new opportunities. Or so what's your thought? Is it, is it more something you articulate or more something that's internal? So the first thing you have to just like, you have to know, you may already know, like, is there a fear of retribution? Because that can be very real. It, it is very real in some cases. But if possible, I would recommend articulating it. And so here's what it sounds like. If I'm setting a boundary with someone more senior, I'm saying, look, I really appreciate that we've had this conversation. It's impacting my results. And I don't know what else I can do. Right. So I'm here. That's my boundary is like I'm working within the constraints that I see in front of me. And I believe that that's where I'm at. And I can't move what I can't move. I don't have the authority to change that. I need you, but I need you to change that. But in the interim, here's where I'm at. And so to be able to articulate the impact again, so we're pulling the conversation stage forward. So that impact is still there. And here's how it's impacting our results. And I'm doing the best I can. If there's something that you think that I'm missing, please tell me. I'm happy to hear that. I'm happy to consider that. But that's where I'm at. That's the boundary as articulated to somebody more senior. And again, you have to know who you're dealing with. You know, I would say most of the time and with most of our engagements, with most managers, people are willing to hear that conversation as long as it's not coming in the form of an attack. It's like you're screwing up and you're making life bad for me. And you frame that conversation as, look, here's how it looks to me is I can't move this project any faster because these and these things are happening. So I'm going to continue to do it based on the constraints that I have. So that's a form of how you would articulate that to somebody more senior. It, well, and I think sometimes your boundary and the implication is that you're just not enjoying the experience of work under these yeah. circumstances and you would rather be elsewhere. Right. And I think that's the, we're at, at least in North America, we're at effectively 0% unemployment, right? So if you're talented and you're resourceful, you can go get another job and employers understand that. So we do a lot of work in tech. The average you know, tenure in tech is 1.8 years, right? It's not very long. So people are moving around a lot. It's longer in other industries, but people are moving around a lot. People are looking for a different experience of work. And so from our perspective, it's like, just be in reality around that and then make a plan, right? So if you know, now there may be opportunities in that organization to move. You may have 
hopefully you do have other outlets for where to go. Hey, I've been trying to have this conversation. It doesn't seem to be going anywhere. I'm frustrated. I really love this company or this organization, but this isn't working for me. You're going to find a risk. If you're any at all talented or skilled person, you're going to find a receptive ear in that other person. My last piece of advice there is, you know, don't feel like you're on an island there. Oftentimes people will leave an organization prematurely and then they won't take that other step of like, go talk to somebody. What's the worst that could happen is your feelings fall on deaf ears. Okay, well, you were already there. So no harm done in having another conversation. And so then there's the final step, the limit. Yeah, the final step is the limit. And a lot of people think, well, the limit means I quit or the limit means you're fired. And it, and it doesn't mean that. And if people read the book, Good Authority, they'll get the nuance there is, you know, if you think about good leaders, you know, anyone who's listening to this, Take a moment to reflect on effective coaches, mentors, parents, teachers, people in your life who were there at a moment in your life where something big changed for you, something important, not a minor thing, a major thing. And if you think back to those situations, in some of those moments, one of the tools that they used was a limit. They said, this goes no further. I can't support you behaving in this way even one more time. And it was in that moment where we went, whoa, I have to change. I have to do something different. This person who I respect, who I value, who I love, who I know, even though I don't like the way they said it, I know that they care about me. They're putting up a, a stop sign and they're saying no further with this behavior. And that is a key feature of how we grow as human beings. And so the limit is doing that in the workplace. If we want to say, hey, we want to bring humanity to the workplace, we got to bring all of it. And so that includes having a limit, which doesn't mean you're fired. It means, hey, we've been having this conversation, mention, invitation, conversation, boundary. I can't support this behavior any longer. Now, does that mean you're fired? No, it means I want you to take some time to think about this. And maybe there's a gear you haven't found. Maybe for whatever reason, it didn't quite click for you until this moment. That's all fine. But I need you to tell me where we go from here. That's the, the limit from the perspective of a manager. And it's an incredibly effective cultural tool. I've seen this happen over and over again, where leaders, especially when someone is on the verge of maybe leaving an organization and maybe for an okay reason, not because there's animosity, but it's just time to move on. And by having a boundary and by having a limit, you give the opportunity for that person to really own their exit. How often does that happen where a company can celebrate or a team can celebrate when somebody leaves and it feels like a great moment instead of a lousy moment where everyone's like, what happened? And it creates all this gossip and politics. If you use accountability conversations in the right way, then that person will go, you know what? Actually, this isn't the right place for me anymore. And I'm sort of approaching this from so much frustration, but there's actually nothing wrong here. I just want, I need a role that where I can go do this other thing that I really love and I can't do that here. Okay, that's all right. That doesn't require any personal animosity. We can shake hands on that. And both from the individual and from the organizational perspective, there are so many good things that can happen as a result instead of, you know, one of the things I say to managers all the time is remember when you're managing somebody, especially if you're in the process of thinking they shouldn't be on your team anymore, you got to worry about that person, but don't worry all about that person. Worry about the rest of your team. How are they interpreting what's happening? How are they perceiving how you're handling this situation? How are they perceiving how this person is being treated and you know whatever their opinions may be? People are watching. So it's your opportunity to live and live your values as a leader 
in how you treat people that may be exiting for a good reason or otherwise. All right. Well, so now this is a great framework and I'd love to hear it just sort of play out maybe one or two or three examples. Yeah, let's do one from the manager, one from a peer, and one from the the report to the manager and with sort of three different scenarios. So I'll really put you on the spot, Jonathan. Let, let's, <laughs> let's kind of rock and roll kind of through the five steps in three different scenarios. Which one do you want to do first? Let's do the peer-to-peer first. Okay. So let's say I'm on the marketing team. I'm a junior manager on a marketing team and uh, I work a lot with operations because a lot of the stuff we do touches on operations. And there's a my peer in the operations department basically says no to everything. Everything I want to do, he says no to. So my mention, let's call him Dave. So my mention to Dave is the first time that I see that, ideally, I'm going to say, hey, so I know this request came through from somebody on our team and it, it got denied. Can you tell me a little bit more about what happened there? I want to understand, right? So there's a mention. I'm not saying you have to change. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not pushing. I'm asking a question, right? And then maybe I agree with his assessment or I understand it, even if I don't like it, whatever it is, or I let it go. So then that, that's my mention. I'm at the first stage where I'm saying, hey, I'm flagging to some degree, hey, there's a something here where we're trying to accomplish something and your group said, you can't do that. I want to know a little bit more about that. So then maybe that goes by and then I'm getting, you know, from my team, they come to me and they say, hey, Jonathan, you know, we're, we've pushed through like, you know, eight requests to do things in the last week and like six of them were denied, right? And we don't know why and we're really frustrated and, you know, oh, those ops people, they're a bunch of whatever. Slow down. Okay, well, let's, let me go talk to Dave and see what's happening. So then I'm going to go back to Dave and I'm going to say, hey, Dave, so something's happening here. My team put through eight requests and six of them got denied. And I'm not sure what happened there, but there's some frustration that's emerging on my team. So I'm going to the next level. I'm not going to the CEO and saying Dave's a jerk. I'm going to say, hey, let's have a conversation. Now, I may or may not get a good answer from Dave and I'm going to form my follow-ups based on that. I might even go right to the conversation. He might be like, oh, well, I didn't think those were that big a deal. So that's why we denied them. Oh, wait a second. Well, can we, do you have five minutes? Because I want to talk with you a little bit more. I'm going to go into the conversation. So it's impacting my team in a bunch of different ways. Maybe you've, I don't know if you've seen or folks have come to you with that, right? So we're going to engage in a conversation shifting. I know he's not trying to make life miserable for my team, but he's making life miserable for my team. So we're going to talk about impacts. And we're, again, we have the the same level of authority in the organization. So there's that. Now, when we get to the boundary, you know, Dave, you know, maybe he tells me what I want to hear in that moment, or turns out that he did, and that keeps happening. And, and basically they, they keep behaving the same way and nothing ever changes. Now I'm going to go back to Dave and say, Dave, hey, look, we've got a problem here. So we had a bunch of conversations about this and I have to do something else here because I'm, as I said to you, it's impacting our goals. It's impacting our speed and our ability to do things. If you and I can't come to a resolution here, I'm stuck. And obviously enough, I'm going to have to go someplace else with that. I don't want to do that, but can we talk about this? And we're going to go deeper, right? And that might, that conversation might be a little uncomfortable, but that's where we're going to go. Because again, Dave doesn't control how, whether I can afford my mortgage next month. He's a peer in the organization. And so we're, we should be able to have healthy conflict. In a healthy organization, you can have healthy conflict, just like in a healthy relationship. Right. And so that's going to go through. And then if nothing changes there, if I say, hey, look, here's what I need. I need you to go back and take a look at those eight requests and really come back to me and say, hey, do those really need to be denied? And if so, why? And really help me understand how was it something the way we did it or however. And then I'm onto my limit stage where I might have to do, where I might have to do something else, right? I might have to 
say to Dave, rather than me going to, let's say we have the same manager or we have a manager in common. I might say, look, I don't want to go to that person by myself. I don't want to do that. But like you and I need some help here. Let's go talk to Jennifer and see if she can help us with the resolution. So let's go together rather than, you know, I said, you said that kind of thing. How does that sound? But I'm not going to let that conversation go. So that's what the accountability that looks like in a, or an example of what it looks like in a peer to peer situation. Okay. That's good. I understand it. And that's helpful to see that play out. And it seems like the timeframes here could be short or long. Absolutely. This might happen over the course of a year or a week. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's really, you know, the art of it is like, how important is it? Is it something that needs to be resolved today? Rarely, right? Sometimes, but rarely. Is it something that needs to be resolved in the next week? Mm, Sometimes. Is it something that needs to be resolved in the next 30 days? Almost always. And if you look at most cultures, you have a whole bunch of things that really need to get resolved in the next 30 days that never are. And they go on month after month after month, year after year. We still haven't dealt with that. And we cycle through people and we cycle through systems and we cycle through documents and culture initiatives because we skipped over the human conversations to change the very nature of work, the things we work on together day to day. Okay. Well, so now I want to get, let's do another scenario. And let's say I am managing somebody remotely and I have a request that, that I think is simple and I'd like to see carried on, and which is sort of that each day to get sort of a, a daily email that, that reveals, hey, this is what I worked on. And these are some questions I have for you. And this is what I, I plan to be working on tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's something that I think is a good practice. And I'd sure like to see that. And so, but I'm not seeing that, you know, right. let's say, Day after day after day, and I uh, maybe I, I brought it up. How would you, using this model, kind of roll this out? So I'll take a step back for a second because you said something that I want to push on a little bit. Is it something right. that you would like to see or something that you need to see? Well, I suppose it's theoretically possible for work to happen without this. But you hired this person, right? Or you're managing them. In order to do your job, you need this, right? That's right. There, there are certainly numerous negative implications of not having this. So part of it is what is the expectation? So when this person came on your team, maybe the conversation was then, if not, maybe the conversation is now, and maybe that's your mention, right? So your mention is, Hey, you know what? There's two possible mentions, right? You know what? I don't think that I was completely clear with you about what one of my expectations and one of my expectations in the role for anybody, irrespective of whether it was you or anyone else in the role was that I would get this daily email. And the reason why it's important to me is X, Y, and Z, right? So there might be a piece of context missing because without that, I can't do X, Y, and Z. Does that make sense? Can you understand why I'm asking you for that, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than you need to do this because I need it. To some people, it might sound overly processy. Controlling, dominating you, okay. Yeah, but it's a really necessary part for people to understand the why. And again, when we talk with folks, this is, over and over again, I don't understand the why. I don't understand. And from the perspective of the manager, it's very, it's often much more clear to us. Well, of course I need that, but not from their perspective because we don't understand all the other things that they're trying to deal with. So if I put myself in that person's shoes, I might be like, oh my God, an email at the end of every day, that's, that takes me this and I have to do these other things. And I don't think Pete understands how busy I am and all that kind of stuff. So it's an opportunity for you to get into conversation with them about it. So we'll put that to the side. But so let's assume that the context is there. Hey, so let's say it's day three of of their employment. And the second day, uh, the first two days they did the email and the third day they didn't, right? So ideally, I would say to that person, I would say, hey, I didn't get the daily email. What's up? Not in a mean mean way, 
but I'm, I'm just like, hey, I'm right there. Like, I look at that every single day. So I want to let them know the reality, which is that I look at that every single day. So it's not processed for the sake of process. Every time you send me that email, I open it, I read it, I digest it, and I notice mm-hmm. when it isn't there, right? So that's the, oh, you know, I'm really sorry. I got really busy today. Like, can I send it to you, you know, when I get home? Sure. Can I send it to you in the morning? Now you might say, no, I actually need it right now. Or you might say, as you probably would, you would say, that's fine. Can you send me the wrap up? So I have it for first thing in the morning. That's fine. And this, you know, whatever. So let's say you did that. And then over the next couple of days, you're seeing, wait a second, this is like, you know, some days I get it, some days I don't, right? So clearly the the mention didn't have the intended impact, which was a full resolution of this thing, right? So now you're going to go to the invitation. You're going to bring it back up. Now, again, we said just before, it could be really the timeline or the timescale of the whole five steps could be really short or it could be really long. So in this case, if it's a core business process and it's not happening, it's going to happen really fast. Hey, so we had this conversation and I thought we were on the same page. Something must have got crossed there, but two out of the last five days, I haven't gotten it. For example, I'm getting concerned, right? So it's your opportunity to say, look, or I am concerned, right? Like I'm concerned that we're not aligned in terms of this particular thing that's really important to me and leaving space for them to explain, not to make an excuse, but to, you want to understand why is this thing that from your perspective seems basic, but it's clearly not basic from their perspective. You want to understand why. If for no other reason, then that person, let's say that person says, Pete, you're a jerk. I'm (laughs) out of here. I never want to work for such a terrible boss ever again. You want to know what it is about that tool that maybe you can improve for the next person, right? Maybe there's a grain of truth in their otherwise victim mentality that you're like, oh, you know what? They didn't handle that professionally, but for the next person, I'm going to make it six steps instead of eight, because that'll make it a little bit easier for them to do on a daily Mm -hmm. basis, whatever the case may be. So as you go through the, we're tracking so far? Oh yeah. So you say, I'm concerned. And then you just sort of let let them respond without sort of any follow-up question. You just see they respond. Yeah. And so if they say like, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. You don't need that. Okay. Now I'm really concerned. Right. Or if they step back and they go, whoa, if there's an acknowledgement, right? Like you have to work with the person in front of you, the human being in front of you. And different people are going to respond really differently in that moment. And that's how you find out what your people are made of. Not that they never make a mistake. It's what do they do when they make a mistake? How do they recover? What's their level of resilience? What's the level of dialogue? Are they willing to be vulnerable with you? That's the team that you want. You want a people that'll do that with you and that you can do that with them. So all of this cycle is happening in leading a high-performance team. So that's your invitation. Now, let's say you have a one-on-one with that person later this week. You might sit down with them and say, hey, look, we've had these kind of hallway conversations where at the end of our, we're not in the same building together. So we had them via Zoom or via Slack or whatever it is. I actually want to drill a little deeper here. It's really important, but I know in the hallway, we, we can kind of lose sight of it. This has a really big impact. Like when this doesn't happen, it has a really big impact. And I understand that that might be harder for you to see from your perspective because you're not the one asking for it. But can you imagine, or let's play this out for a little bit. Like, can you, from your vantage point, how might this have an impact on me or our team or our organization if we don't have these daily reports? Mm -hmm. I promise you they have never thought of that question. They haven't thought of the answers to that question. So that's the conversation stage is you're helping them shift. They didn't intend those outcomes, right? They didn't intend to make you late on the report that you need that information to. That's not what wasn't their intention. They were just busy. 
they were overwhelmed. We're all overwhelmed, or most of us are. Mm -hmm. And so the conversation is your opportunity to help them go deeper, to take ownership and say, wait a second. Oh, I didn't realize how big of an impact that was. Now you could say, oh, well, they should have gotten that from the initial moment. Yeah, maybe. But that's not the world we live in. You know, and I, I was working with an IT director recently, and he said, well, one of his colleagues brought up an example and said, like, well, that would be unacceptable to me. And his colleagues called him out and said, come on, man, really? You're going to fire a person if they didn't do that? Well, no, not really. I can't really do that, right? There's a whole bunch of reasons why you can't. Like, you can't hold that line for really good reasons. We have controls in place in an organization. So you can't just snap off at a person. There, there has to be an opportunity for, if you went to your HR leader's office and said, hey, you know, they didn't fill out that report, you know, two days in a row, I want to fire them. They would say, get out of my office, Pete. Uh, don't want your lawsuit. <laughs> Go have another conversation with them. So how you're going to do that, that's helping them shift from intention over to impact. You know, you're seeing the pattern here. So then you have that conversation and in that conversation, right? You might start foreshadowing what about, so, hey, what's your plan? How are you going to make sure that you get that report done at the end of the day? Not what's my plan for how you're going to get that done. What's your plan for how you're going to get that done? Because I can't, I can't have you do my plan. That won't work, right? So that's now we're going into the boundary step is people will often say is like, okay, Pete, I hear you. I get it. I promise it won't happen again. Not good enough. What is the plan? What are the action steps? What do you need to give up? in order to make sure that that stays the priority that we need it to be. Then you're in the boundary stage of the accountability dial. And then if that doesn't work, so let's say, you know, I'll ask you a question that I often ask of managers. So if I say to you, Pete, this person's gonna be on your team, this remote employee, they're gonna be on your team and they're gonna be not sending you the daily report 40 to 60% of the time. And they're gonna be doing that for the next 10 years. How's that sound? Well, it's not going to work. I mean, we could conceivably have an alternative to email, but there must be some sort of a daily communication that occurs. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So how about, uh, how about if it went on for five years? You good with that? No. How about one year? No. How about 90 days? Oh, if there's some really extenuating circumstances, baby. <laughs> okay. So every single time I run that question, it's at 90 days where it starts to get a little bit like, well, maybe depends. But somewhere in there between zero and 90 days, that's the boundary, right? The only difference is you internally to you, you have that boundary. They don't know that that's your boundary. Mm -hmm. So the process, the boundary step is getting in reality with them and say, look, now maybe there are some extenuating circumstances that make it so that 75 days is a reasonable timeline. Probably not given the scenario we're working on. Sounds like something that needs to be cured much sooner than that. But if you think about the boundary phase, it's like, hey, this is something that we've talked about. We've both acknowledged that it needs to change. What's a frame within which it needs to change? It's very, very rare where it's where the right answer is going to be more than 90 days. And almost always it's going to be in the next 30. We need specific milestones where we know that progress is happening. That's the boundary phase. Okay. So we're having that conversation, we're establishing and, and getting to some sort of agreement like, yes, you know, this yeah. is what uh, I shall do uh, yeah. within this time frame there. And, and so I guess that almost sounds like a performance improvement plan. I guess we're not using that kind of terminology and, and structure, but it's similar. So it, there's an overlap in the way that we approach it. And a lot of the organizations we've, one of the things that we've learned is that what HR wants, which we were hoping would be the case, is that they want the manager to have these types of conversations outside of the performance improvement plan. Because the performance improvement plan is 
it's not a joke. It's there for a reason, but those reasons are legal and compliance, right? It doesn't actually improve performance. If you ask any HR leader mm-hmm. in there in, who's been around for more than one year, how many times in your career has a performance improvement plan actually turned somebody around? They'll give you like one example, right? It never works. Almost never. So it is in this context where we're talking about something that needs to change. It definitely is about performance and about improving performance. But the idea is we're doing that in a, in a humane way. We're right. having a conversation. It's not a write-up. We're not bringing in HR. Once you bring in HR, once you go outside of that relationship, that bond between you and your employee, mostly only bad things happen. Understood. So it's, hey, this is something that needs to change. Let's you and I figure this out, right? Like, I know it's uncomfortable. I know I don't like having this conversation. You don't like having this conversation, but this has got to change. This is our... This has got to be our agreement for what needs to change. So that's the boundary phase. Okay, understood. And so, and then the limit? And then at the limit, let's say you make that and the person says, look, I'm going to, over the next 10 days, I'm not going to miss one, right? Every single day for the next 10 days. So that's our first milestone. I'm going to hit it every single day. And then at the end of that 10 days, we're going to like shake hands. And then we're going to do the next 30 in a row. And we're going to, I'm going to build up my reps, so to speak, right? Where I'm not going to miss a day. And let's say you're good with that. You say, okay, that's, that's fine. Okay. Well, what are the consequences? What are the implications if you don't send me that in the next 10 days? Not what do I think the consequences should be? What do you think the consequences should be? Oh, hmm. Well, I think that Pete, it's a really good question. I think in the next 10 days, if I miss one, then I shouldn't be able to go to this conference that I was really excited about that you said that, that I could go to, or I'm not going to be eligible to take on this other part of the work until this part of my, whatever the thing is, right? So let them author the boundary if that's, if that's possible. And if they can't come up with a boundary, what I've found is that most of the time when you ask people to come up with their own boundaries and consequences, they're tougher on themselves than you will be on them. Not always, but oftentimes. And so that would be you know, a boundary for, and, and then there's some clear agreements. What needs to change by when, what does change look like and what happens if it doesn't work? All right. And so that's the boundary. Yeah. And so then the limit is, let's say it doesn't happen. They don't, they just don't do it. But let's say starting on day one, they don't do it. Like, okay, I'm going to go right to that limit. Say like, Hey, you know, we tried this. I appreciate your earnestness. We made this agreement. You said you were going to do it. You did. There was no constraint that prevented you from being able to do it. I don't know what else to do now. So I'm, I feel like I've done everything that I can as your manager. I've given all of the thoughtfulness and coaching and everything that I could think of, but I don't know what else to do here. So I feel like I'm out of options. That's the spirit of that moment. Now, in that case, you have to decide how important is that task relative to the role? Are there enough other things that that person is doing that outweigh where you would be willing to change that tool for this person. I doubt it, but you know, anything is possible in that scenario. So, but that's what the limit would be. And what you will find is that here's the, I don't know if we will call it ironic, but what will happen if you use the mention, the invitation, the conversation and the boundary is that somebody who doesn't want that level of accountability in their life, they're going to leave. Yeah. They're going to say, Pete, you know, I've been thinking about this and I think you need somebody who's more detail oriented than I am or, you know, whatever. And I, and I don't want to let you, whatever it is, right? Okay, fine. That's good. That's a good outcome. In a healthy organization, people leave and they move on and they, we shake hands and we say, Hey, you were right for the role for this period of time. It's the role has changed or you want different things. That's okay. Let's shake hands. 
And, you know, I love that concept of the, the tour that I think Netflix pioneered, you know, that tour of duty, Hey, go on a tour with me. And then when that tour is over, let's decide, should we go on another tour together? Doesn't this idea that, you know, you're an employee for life. It's, it's a fiction. If it was ever true, it's definitely not true. Now it's a fiction. Let's be in reality with one another. I'm there for as long as it's valuable to me as an employee and, and that uh, my skills are valuable to you as an employer. That's great. Thank you, Jonathan. Anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? I would just say that, you know, for wherever you are in an organization, whether you're a first-time employee in the workforce or a senior leader, the thing that you want to feel seen, to feel heard, to feel valued, get that. Don't settle for less. You deserve that as a human being, as a sovereign human being. You deserve to have a world of work that is additive to your life and not subtractive, where you don't where you go home and you feel dread or feel like you're being exploited or taken advantage of. And I can tell you, because a lot of them are our clients, there's some amazing organizations out there that would love to have you. Uh, so don't settle for less. All right. Now, could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? My favorite quote is from Albert Einstein. He says, I don't have any special talents, but I am passionately curious. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I loved the uh, Harvard relationship study, or I think some people call it the Harvard happiness study that they did a couple of years ago. There's a great TED talk about it. And basically what they found was that your satisfaction in relationships is the best predictor of longevity and, and long-term health outcomes. And so they said, if you look at someone when they're 50, you're much more likely to know how long they're going to live based on their level of satisfaction in their relationships than their cholesterol. And how about a favorite book? I'm still working on it, but I read the first couple hundred pages of Sapiens some years ago. So it's still my favorite book because I haven't finished it. Uh, I hope that doesn't change the end, but I love Yuval Harari. He's a wonderful philosopher and uh, I love what he has to say. And a favorite tool, something you use to be more awesome at your job? I have to say, I'm happy to be off the guest list for Superhuman, which is a very hyped um, email uh, interface uh, that goes over Gmail and it makes it really easy to go really fast. So the the hype is earned in my uh, in my view. Uh, Superhuman is a really neat tool. I use it. I love it. And I'm not ashamed that I pay $29 a month <laughs> for email that could be free. Yeah, it's worth it. And a favorite habit? My favorite habit is walking often with my dog and listening to an episode of Revisionist History. I'm a big Malcolm Gladwell fan. And is there a particular nugget you're known for? Something you say that gets recorded, retweeted? A lot of people retweet, you don't get to grow and look good at the same time. Oh, thank you. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? You can go to refound.com. That's R-E-F like Frank, O-U-N-D.com. And then if you click the resources tab, there's some quizzes and some downloadable tools. And then of course you can pick up the book on Amazon, Good Authority, you know, Kindle, print, audio, the whole thing. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Have one conversation, ask one question that you've been thinking about asking, you've been thinking about approaching this person and asking them a question or making an observation, commit to doing that in the next 24 hours. Jonathan, this has been a delight. Thank you. And, and good luck with all your great conversations. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed the conversation. What I loved about this piece from Jonathan is he said in one key quote, hey, we're too nice to each other. We're not having honest conversations. And yet in none of those sample role play bits did he ever sound like a jerk. It was always clear that he's coming from a place of caring and he's just having the courage to say that, hey, I noticed this. What's up? 
and then to progressively escalate it in a kind, diplomatic, but yet firm way. I think it's very brilliant, and I have a feeling I will be using it many times myself, and I hope you can refer to this. You might find the Gold Nuggets extra helpful to have like a visual reference on this. And again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F491. I hope you punch subscribe. If you do, you'll catch our next guest. Jay Elise Keith has spent a lot of time studying meetings, what makes them effective, ineffective, and how to get more done in the time you spend there. Hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.